Hello everyone. We have a special episode today. Last week was a tough week for people in the state of Texas. There were millions who were left powerless in the dark without heat, without water, and I along with many just wanted to find out why. What happened? So, had a great conversation about this with someone who predicted this around 10 years ago and brought awareness to the risk of the Texas energy grid. So please help me welcome Energy Fellow and Lecturer at the University of Houston, Ed Hers. Ed, how's it going? Fun well, Rodolfo. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Hey, I know you've been all over the circuit, so I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Happy to. Okay. Um, good, good. All right. So let's kick this off. What do you do? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm an economist. So what I'm known for right now is, is the work I've done at the University of Houston. I've, I've taught there for more than 30 years and you know, micro, macroeconomics, international trade, and now more recently, energy economics. You know, before that, I've, I've taught at Rice. I've, I've taught at Yale and you know, always as a, as a part-time teacher. Yeah. I have pursued a career in corporate finance. I've worked in energy because I've been in Houston for a long time. I'm a partner with a group as we're going through a development stage right now with a renewable fuels company, mm-hmm. um, building a plant that will produce renewable diesel or sustainable aviation fuel using rendered fats from processing facilities and or vegetable oils. And so my partner, Bob, Ames built the very first plant like this in the United States more than 10 years ago for Tyson Foods. My partner, Anthony Corridori, is a past executive at Honeywell where he worked in process systems. So we have a, we have a tremendous team here and we're really looking forward to taking advantage of, of what we see as this, this, this move to sustainability. But, you know, we're, we, we call the company Zero Carbon Cycle because we're using carbon out of, essentially out of the atmosphere, carbon that's been released over, you know, two or three years, however long it takes it to become a plant and then become eaten and then become animal fat and, uh, and then be rendered. So you know, using carbon or CO2 that, that's two or three years old versus carbon that's three or four million years old. And, and so that's how we're pointing to really build a fuel that can be a drop in for transportation fuels today. Got it. Wow. Very intriguing. And see, you wear a lot of hats. That's a very busy man. So this is, this is Texas. You know, there's a lot to do. It's an entrepreneur's paradise here in Houston. This is why I came out here more than 40 years ago. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Got it. So like I said, very intriguing. And hopefully we can get you on here on another podcast where we can talk about your ventures and your experiences and how you got to where you are and what actually got you into economics and energy. But this is going to be a very special episode. And as many people know, last week was a very tough week, the week of February 15th for the state of Texas. There were millions that were left powerless, freezing in the dark and without any water. Now, We've heard everything, a lot of different excuses and reasons for why this is. We've heard everything from the Green New Deal, which doesn't make sense, deregulation, ERCOT, almost all the energy sources being temporarily down at one point because of the equipment not being winterized, 
the Texas power grid being on essentially an electrical island. So many different reasons that we heard about. And I know that you have continuously tried to raise awareness of the risk of the Texas electrical grid. So wanted you to just talk about what in the world happened last week and just what caused all of this? Well, you know, right now we're looking at how the grid failed. And so that's a, that's a nuts and bolts, molecules and electrons type of analysis. And this is extremely important to do because we, we have to know how it failed. What I've been trying to, to point people to is why it would fail, why it did fail. And it's because the incentives were just set up incorrectly when the legislature and Governor Bush and then followed by Governor Perry signed into law the, the bills that, that created this market within ERCOT. You know, a lot of them say this is deregulation, but you know, quite frankly, it's, it's not. It's just a different kind of regulation. And so we, we took what was the old model, which was a, a fully integrated utility from the, the generator to the transmission line to the local distribution company to the meter. And we split that up. The generators were over here and they were left to compete amongst themselves. The transmission companies were regulated and the local distribution companies were regulated, which means essentially they were allowed to earn a return on capital. The generation companies had to kind of begin to compete against each other for one buyer. And that one buyer is the ERCOT market. And and so this ERCOT is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas and it manages the grid. So it has a couple of tasks here. One is basically as the air traffic controller for electrons across Texas, trying to shunt the electrons and push them where they're needed, where there's demand, where there are peaks, calling up generators and asking them to come online, calling up generators and telling them they're not needed right now. Mm. And, And this kind of process goes on day in, day out, a thousand nodes across the grid in Texas. The part that they do that led to the failure here is the way the market gives incentives to the generators to stay online. And this is an electricity only market. In an electricity only market, the generating companies only earn revenues when they're producing electricity and selling it into the grid. They sell it into the grid. It's bought by ERCOT at a price certain at that point. And it's a price that on average over the last 10 years has been less than the cost of providing that service. So the, the generators have been, you know, and, and it's an average number. It's not some guys make money and some lose money all the time. It's an average number. And so what this does is it tends to encourage behavior that leads to deferred maintenance and a lack of reinvestment in the equipment because these companies are not earning a return on capital. And my criticism, which I issued in 2013 with Paul McAvoy, is that this is actually the similar construction to what the old style Soviet Union had for one of its industrial bureaus. One buyer setting a price and the folks competing to kind of reach that price. And that model worked for a little while, but it was destined to fail because of the lack of reinvestment, the lack of opportunities to build new capacity. And so we saw the the outcome of this in, in several different places, but most pointedly in 2011, when there was a, a significant blackout, so ERCOT calls it a load shedding event. That's a euphemism. We call it a blackout. Mm-hmm. 
and they put a blackout across parts of North Texas that included the medical center in Dallas, causing all sorts of tragedy. There was a hue and outcry that I think it interfered with the Super Bowl and lots of committee meetings in Austin, investigations, thousands of trees were killed to print these things up and you know, recommendations for power plants to be winterized and ready to come into play. None of these recommendations are followed. Nothing's mandatory. ERCOT does not have the ability to enforce rules and regulations. Right. Uh, the Public Utility Commission does, but really has not exercised any authority whatsoever. They kind of left it to the free market, as it were. And, and well, the, the outcome, of course, is, was a disaster in 2011. And it was really easy to see that, you know, given the, the right alignment of circumstances, we could have the same thing. You know, ordinarily, I'd be thinking of this coming during the summer, but, you know, actually it makes a lot more sense that it would occur during the winter because all of these plants that, that we would have would all be geared up, expected to be producing electricity in July, August, September. And then after September, you kind of shut down the ones that are not needed. You know, the Texas electricity market averages about 45 gigawatts a day across the year. You know, the peak is about 75 in summer. And so that tells you about 30 gigawatts of capacity is really not needed on a day-to-day -day basis, again, on average. And so, you know, if you've, you're sitting with six plants and, and you run all six in August, after September, maybe you shut two of them down because they're not going to be needed. And, and then you come around to February and ERCOT calls up and says, hey, we need your plant. And, and you're thinking, well, geez, do I spend money and winterize it now? If I do that, then all it does is keep the price of electricity low. Maybe I won't get it ready and watch the price of electricity rise for the four plants that I have operating. Wow. So there's an issue of moral hazard. There's an issue of responsibility. And this type of gamesmanship is legal in the ERCOT market. There's not much more than a slap on the wrist if you're caught manipulating markets. And, and for a, a primer on that, I, I suggest chapter five of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission energy primer, the pervert energy primer, which is available online. Now, there are games that can be played. We had a game played with GameStop a couple of, couple of weeks ago. And there's nothing a commodities trader likes better than a short market where they can they can cause some some real significant price increases and so think of a think of the movie trading places with dan Aykroyd and, and eddie murphy there's an example and so the electricity market in in texas it appears that at, at least right now the face value is that more than 40 billion dollars was a, supposed to have changed hands last week that's, that's almost three times the, well, that's the equivalent to the last three years of, of total revenue across the market. Uh, that's a huge amount of, of money that's moving around in this past week. And, you know, quite frankly, it's our money. Mm -hmm. And uh, a direct direct move from, from consumers to, to uh, generators, those who were able to keep, keep themselves operating. Now, this is yet to be worked out, and the governor is complaining, and the Public Utility Commission is saying this won't hold. But, you know, these free market um, uh, advocates in Austin are now faced with trying to fix uh, this, this construction that was poorly considered when it was put into place. And then we have a situation where it's going to take a lot more regulation to fix it. So they're having to eat some humble pie this week.
So, so the power producers are not required to supply electricity to Texas customers and they face no penalties, really no harsh penalties if they don't. And the rewards that were out there to incentivize them in times like this with these extreme weather conditions, it just, it didn't work out. It didn't work out like they thought it would. And like you said, ERCOT really can't mandate any of these guidelines that they put out. So with that, what agencies or who should try to get this ball rolling? You mentioned the PUC or the Public Utility Commission. There's the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. There's the governor. Who's supposed to get the ball rolling on this? This is going to have to be the governor and the legislature working together. Okay. Uh, this goes all the way to the top. They put in place this mess. They're going to have to clean it up. Got it. Okay. Now, what about, I don't know, this is a little bit different, but the water situation, do you know what was going on there? Was it with the water going out? Was it a busted pipes? Was it everyone leaving their water on thinking that they didn't want their pipes to busted or just damaged water supply or all, all the above? Yeah, I think, I think you, you, you've hit on it, you know, maybe three things. One, the shutdown and electricity supply may have had an impact on pumping stations. Number two, Certainly the freeze and number three, leaving the taps open contributed to a loss of pressure. And it was a loss of pressure, at least in Houston system-wide yeah. for a couple of days. And that's the real breakdown in infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, I understand the issues that they had, but so why couldn't ERCOT still roll the blackouts? Well, they're supposed to be able to do this, but in practice, they've never had to face something this widespread across the entire state. And certainly they're very sensitive to what happened in Dallas when they shut the power down over the med center. Mm. And you know, some of the local distribution companies probably haven't thought strategically enough about this or we rewired enough about this. You know, here in Houston, it's Centerpoint. In Dallas, it's Encore. In Austin, well, it's Austin Municipal Power, the city. Um, so there's the challenge of coordination and, you know, there's a big difference between saying it's technically feasible and then executing. Yeah. Yeah. And then you mentioned the deferred maintenance and the lack of reinvestment with the cost being down. Now I'm guessing with the addition of solar and wind kind of pushing down the cost of electricity, that's also causing a lot of these power plants to also rethink putting money into building for just in case something happens. Well, that's right. I mean, under the old model, you would build a power plant and assuming it were allowed by the Public Utility Commission and you could earn a rate of return on it, you know, even if it only ran one week a year or two weeks a year. In this particular instance, it's kind of difficult to, to say that you're going to put a plant in there and run it for a couple of weeks out of the year if by the mere action of doing that, you ensure that the price stays low and you don't get a return on capital. You know, think about this from a gaming perspective and be the, the Rodolfo and Ed electric company. Geez, do we need to really go back and winterize that facility or we just wait for the high price to pick up the plants that we have operating? You know, that's the math. Well, if you want to start that company, let me know. Yeah, I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> no. But should there... Now, should there be a penalty for operators who do not supply electricity in these extreme weather conditions? Well, I certainly think that's where we're going. But we need to provide these operators the ability to earn a return on capital just for having the equipment ready to go. Right. Think of this in, in terms of 
We live in Houston. We could have a situation where another hurricane shows up. And if you're counting on your grandfather's Oldsmobile to be able to fire up, I hope you've changed the tires, changed the belts, got the oil, to, you know, ready to go. And, and you know, that's that's kind of an, an insurance expense. Yeah. Um, Is that what they do in the Northeast? I forget what it's called. PJ? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. The yeah. Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland market right. has a capacity payment where where folks are, are paid to stay on the bench and stay ready to yep. come into the game and, and the same in california yep yep all right so now after all this are there really going to be customers getting a sixteen thousand dollar bill i'm i'm sure we'll run into that i have no idea i mean i went online to check mine yesterday and i'm still in a fixed rate plan and as far as i know my retail electricity provider is still solvent you know, I won't know that for sure for, you know, maybe a few weeks. Right. Right. Wow. Well, Ed, thank you for this. It's been great. Are there any questions you think I might have left off asking you? Is there anything additional that you would like to add? No. No, but I mean, Rodolfo, this is changing. I mean, we're in the, I don't know where we are in the triage situation right now. You know, the, the number of people who died, you know, yeah. we don't know that. The number of folks who have had some serious compromise to health. You know, one of my friends bought a shop up in East Texas. The snow fell in. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's just you know, part of it is the weather for sure, and and then the loss of the infrastructure. I mean, fortunately, we got it back in in a little less than a week. You know, it wasn't like with Harvey. It wasn't like with Allison when the power was out for you know really extended periods of time or Katrina. But it's it's not hard to imagine that it could be. Yeah. So with Harvey, there was I think nineteen billion dollars in damages. Do you know? Can you estimate the amount? I have no idea. We'll know more in four weeks, six weeks. Yeah. 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 We may not know the full extent for more than a year. Uh, Well, again, Ed, thank you very much for coming on. I know you've been all over CNN, CBS, everything. So I really appreciate you coming on to my podcast. Thank you so much. Rodolfo, it's my pleasure. I look forward to meeting up with you again. Yep, definitely. All right. Have a good one. You too. Stay safe. All right. You too. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.